expanding the Nerdosphere, talking about everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Hey boys and girls, you find episode 32 of Down and Nerdy, where our bullpen consists of an angry fat guy. Yes, and don't wear red. No, not at all. Ever, ever. Ever. I'm James. Don't wear red and don't be over five foot and dress as Wolverine. Yeah, that that would be bad news because that would definitely incur the wrath. I'm James with him alongside. <laughs> Nick Battaglia, the merc with one arm. And you will actually get to meet our angry fat guy, Cody Green, when we're at Tidewater Comic Con on October the 18th because we're all going to be there. Yeah, dude, I just can't believe it's like here pretty much. I, I mean, I, I, it, it feels like months ago when Bob first told us we were going to be there pretty much. And it's just like, my God, how fast time has flown. It really has. And, you know, we just got to reiterate table 104. We're going to be right next to Bob with Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards right near the general admission entrance. You could still get your membership entrance with the VIP stuff, TidewaterComicCon.com. And you could actually get a little bit of a discount if you get your tickets ahead of time. And uh, actually, you know, first seating at panels and stuff that are going to be there. So if you want to go to TidewaterComicCon.com, they accept PayPal. You can do that as well. Yep, and somebody who uh, who's going to be here as well is Drew Moss. He stopped by earlier. Uh, we had great, great conversation. You're going to hear that in our main topic later in the show. But, you know, as always, we start off the show with what we did this weekend. And, uh, you know, I went to see Gone Girl on Friday and um, with Ben and the new Ben Affleck movie. I'm going to tell you this right now. So I went by myself, right? Um, to our fellow men out there, do not take a first date to see this movie because nothing says, let's get to know one another, like going to see a movie about a wife who vanishes and her husband's accused of murdering her. Yeah, that's probably not the best choice. <laughs> but the, someone I know, though, she asked me, she's like, how was it afterwards? And I told her, I said, oh, it was, it was pretty, it was awesome. Like, it's, it's a two and a half, three hour movie. But it just it moves so well. The acting is great. Ben Affleck's fantastic. You know, it 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 it, it David Fincher is a fucking genius. Okay, so here's a question. Okay. I know you're not a Fifty Shades of Grey fan, and nor am I, because I didn't okay, read the book. That that trailer actually played before the movie. Okay, so here's the deal. Okay. Do you take a first date to see Fifty Shades of Grey? I don't see my my thing is I wouldn't say first date. I would wait to like second, maybe third, only because to me the first as I got older, I realized the first date is really supposed to be the date where you get to know one another. So it's important to do things where you're actually talking to one another because you don't want to be in a, in a in a theater for a couple hours and not talk to one another right. and not have to be like, oh, I'm gonna do that whole social like I'm pretending I'm yawning, put my arm over her, you know. Um, but the girl I'm talking to now, like, you know, I wouldn't take her to see it for a first date. Well, here's the deal, and I don't, I don't mind movies on the first date if you do dinner first. If you do dinner right. first, you get a chance, like you said, get a chance to talk, get to know another, because movies are similar interests. I could see doing a movie on the first date, but that that movie, uh, uh, it could be awkward, man. I mean, well, yeah, again. Because, well, because it was based, it's 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 pretty much you know S and M, you know bondage type of a thing. But a lot of people are like, oh, it's not, you know, that's it. You know, some people that are into that stuff are like, that misrepresents exactly what we do. We're not going to get into that, but it's just one of those things of like, if it's a first date, you're taking a movie pretty much about sex. 
Um, it, it's kind of make her th- maybe think that you're implying something's going to happen after the movie. Not just sex. This is hardcore stuff, man. This is like whips and chains and shit you and your wife are probably into. That's what I'm saying. I'm unrealistic expectations on the first date. And you're right. It could send the wrong message, too. So I was just curious what you thought about that. Yeah, man. I'm just like, oh, God, no. <laughs> like, if she asked me to say, hey, let's go see this, I'd be like, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, suck it up and we'll go. Well, I could tell you right now, I'll, I'll, I'll be seeing it. Well, well yeah, because your wife is. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I know my dad's is too, because my, my mom's got the whole trilogy, so I know my dad's going to have to take her to see that. But, I mean, no. Let's <laughs> it, Okay, so, so since we're on this topic, um, Worst first date experience. Oh God. Um, I don't even know if I've told my wife this yet. I think I probably well, she have. About to know now. But um, I uh, I went on a first date with this girl, and we met in a mutual location. You know, she I'm not a coffee drinker. She wanted to have coffee. I'm like, okay, fine. So we sat, we sit down, we have some coffee, and then after the date, it's time to uh, it's time to say our goodbyes. And I'm not even kidding. She starts to cry. Oh God! And I'm like, really? And I'm like, I appreciate that you had that good of a time, and that you think I'm that great of a guy, but uh, this is a little awkward for me right now. Right. So that that was, I mean, I mean, I know that's kind of short and sweet, but that was that was the gist of it. And needless to say, uh, there was no second date. Yeah. Because that's just a, that's a little weird. I mean, I I get it. I mean, we we talked beforehand so it's not like this was the first time we'd ever met or anything but still it's like okay she wasn't clingy was she like after your words like she doesn't try talking like calling you non-stop and everything like that um it it was not necessarily to the clingy point but it was definitely one of those things where i'd be like okay <laughs> it's uh this isn't happening yeah mine was i was in high school i was a junior in high school and um i had gotten hooked up with this girl who didn't go to my school at all. And, you know, so I agreed to meet her. She was nice at first, but when you, when I first met like her family, like I met, and that was kind of weird thing too, is like I had to go, I didn't have a car. I didn't have my license back then. So of course my mom had to take us, which was kind of weird, but well, that's always weird. But, um, no, it was like when you, when you, I went to her house, you know, and I met her mom and her, her dad. And it was kind of weird because it was, I had this vibe of like, she told her parents, "Hey, this, this, and this, and this." And she, I think, she kind of overhyped me to her parents in a sense. Like, I'm a great guy, but I think she overhyped the relationship because it was like it was our first date, you know. And we went to a movie and we went to dinner, but at dinner it was like she was so um, uh, negative about herself, like you know, especially with somebody like me. You know, I've, I have a physical handicap that I couldn't control. And and I don't, I'm not one of that sulking, but like we're at dinner, I'm like, get what you want. She's like, oh, I'm just gonna have a salad because I was, you know, I'm saying I don't want to get fat and I'm and this and that. And I'm just like, oh god, like this is, you know, it, you know, and it's just like that's it, all she did. All she brought up was like her past, like her horrible past. And I'm like, listen, I'm not. I, this is a first date. I'm not gonna be a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. you know. And it was just like, like she was nice, but I'm just like. You're loading way too much baggage, and you're way too hard on yourself. I even told her that, I'm like, stop being so hard on yourself. And and I even told her, like, you know, it's kind of unattractive, you know, to, you know, because I want a girl that has some, you know, confidence. 
And every, everything I would say, she would like try to hook it back to just a, a bash about herself. And, uh-huh. and I, it was just, it, she would call nonstop, dude, like every day, like every day she would call and call and call. And I'd be like, I would just ignore her. And, and she told the person who, uh, so like a couple of weeks passed by and she tells the person who hooked us up tell me that, oh, she's found a boyfriend and she's happy. I'm like, good for her. She's found somebody. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to, you know, you know, I, I was 16 at the time. I'm not going to be like, my life is ruined. It's like, oh, okay, you know, and we met. We didn't work out. We didn't have a lot of things in common. It happens. No need to be, a, you know, to try to rub it in my face because I'm not one of those guys where I'm going to be all pissed, you know. And this free dating advice brought to you by Down and Nerdy. Feel free to contact us for all of your dating <laughs> needs. Yes, yes. Oh, God. Oh, my God. It's like a down... That just gives you an idea for an episode. We should just do like a nerdy bachelor dating game. Like, nerd number one. You know? you you Nerd number one. You have a fleet of comic books you have between DC and Marvel. But you have to burn one copy for your, for your girlfriend because she doesn't like it. Which copy would it be and why? That could be a, that could be a lot of fun. Maybe we should make that happen. Yep. Yeah. Hey. I mean, if, if, if we did like a huge live show, like like we got like a big group of people, we sold tickets and stuff like that, that would be a possibility. Hey, you never know. You never know. We've got things working behind the scenes that you don't even know about. Yes, we do. We do. So enough about my weekend. What about yours? Oh, it was a very, very busy weekend between working and the uh, little guy had a little bit of an issue. I won't get into all the details. But uh, he's fine. That's that's. I'll just leave it at that. He's fine. But, I love uh, how every time you post a picture of your little guy on like social media, it always has the caption of "This has taken five minutes before he decided to throw up on me." Yeah. Well, luckily he hasn't thrown up on me in a while, so that's that's a good sign. Has he thrown up on your wife? Uh, he hasn't thrown up on her. Then it's decided he loves her more than you. But he has done other stuff to her, so uh, <laughs> he lets me sleep more. So I don't know about that. Well, well, yeah, because you get home at like five in the morning from work and your wife's is like just getting up. So, of course, you had to deal with crying baby all night. Yeah. Well, he will. You get get the easy part of it. I will say. wife's got to suffer. I will say he woke me up at like 930 in the morning this morning, which for anybody who works the third shift knows that's like death. Which we do. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, when, when he woke me up at 930 in the morning, it's one of those things where you know you don't know what time it is when you get woken up. So the first thing you do, you grab your phone. I, t- you know, I, I clicked the little button to, to put the display on, and I looked, and I went, oh, really? Yeah. Because <laughs> usually it's, I'm used to 1130, but 930, I'm like, oh, you couldn't have waited a little bit longer, man. <laughs> I know, right? But uh, no, everything's good. Um, and then Sunday, after everything that happened, fr- late Friday and, and all day Saturday, Sunday was just a we we're just gonna pass out on the couch kind of day. So yeah, I mean a little bit of a boring weekend. Um, but it was you know there were extenuating circumstances there. But this weekend is gonna be a little bit better. The wife and I are gonna be celebrating our sixth wedding anniversary this weekend. Yeah. So uh, this will definitely be a better weekend than the last one, that's for sure. Dude, that's awesome, man. You, I mean, you. That's the thing. It's like you and your wife, man. I just like that's awesome. Like, like you, what well, you and your wife had. That's what a lot of. That's like the epitome of what marriage is supposed to be. You know, it's funny because 
it's you know it's it's the cliche of we feel like we've known each other all our lives and that we've uh, we've just always been together and it's it's one of those things where you know we've all had like you like you said we've all had our past and we've all had stuff that's happened both good and bad before I met her but it's like and I'm I'm not just saying this it's like I don't even remember any of that stuff anymore right just because right. it just doesn't matter. And then you two do like cutesy stuff to the point where you want to punch each other in the face. We still do that, and it, it, it drives some people crazy. Like, but, like you, I, for example, you have this whiteboard in your house, and your you and your wife would <laughs> write love notes on it every day. It's but true. not enough love notes, like nerdy love notes. Like you wrote to her, like I love you more than Haymitch from uh, Hunger Games loves his alcohol. Yeah. And she did, uh, she did one. She was like, I love you. Like the Riddler loves riddles. And I was like, yep, that's it right there. That, that, that is love. That just, that, that goes on forever too. But I mean, it drives some people crazy. We're not going to stop. It's our thing. So get yeah. over it. People <laughs> get over it. But, um, <laughs> that's what we did for our weekends. But coming up next, it's what we're reading. We got two new comics. And uh, yes, and also later on in the show, we we sat down with Drew Moss and talked a lot about you know his new creepy eight, number eighteen that came out, his other work we call a bun, terrible lizard, and a bunch of other things you know working in freelance that we talked about as well. And that's gonna come up later in our main topic. But coming up next, it's what we're reading. Stay tuned. More down nerdy coming up next. Well, boys and girls, grab your comics, grab your bags, grab your boards because it's time to go around through the pages and the many many inks and go through what we're reading this week. And James, well, uh, I'll let you start off this week, because you kind of had a kick-ass comment. We've been talking about Endgame for a while, and it finally came out, Batman Endgame Part 1, which is Batman number 35. Of course, the Dream Team, Scott Snyder writing, Greg Capullo on the pencils, Danny Meeky actually on the inks this time, and colors by, I'm going to give it a shot here, Uh, Co. Placenia. Come on, you can do it. Placenica. There we go. Placenica. Yeah, Yeah, all right. right. Now, one of the first things that struck me about this comic and uh, where it gives you all the credits and everything, it says at the bottom, this comic takes place after the events of Batman Eternal. Right. Which I did not know at the time because I've tried to stay away from as much of this as possible, the the inside stuff, so I don't get it spoiled for me because we don't like spoilers on the show. So no. now I will warn you, there will be a couple spoilers in this review. So if you don't want to hear the spoilers, I will warn you and you'll get to skip ahead. Now it actually starts out where there's a su- suspected chemical attack in downtown Gotham where it's filled uh, about 10 city blocks with white smoke. And then you see Batman in this giant robot suit that he's apparently built for himself and basically saying, I know you're there, bring it on kind of thing. Right. So it's like, whoa. So it immediately grabs your attention. Right. There was one weird page where it was Batman and his sidekicks from Eternal. You recognize Bluebird. And there was another one, Lark. And they were fighting off. It was hard to see what it was they were fighting off, but it was only for one page. And that's when it told you that you were dealing with the events after Batman Eternal. Now, one thing that I thought was interesting is Alfred's daughter has stuck around and she's now filling in for Alfred. While he recovers. Right. Which I thought was pretty interesting. Well, then, it makes, well, it makes sense because she's doing the same thing in Batman Eternal. So it, it makes sense. And she's pretty much, uh, from, at least from the last issue, I think it was issue 20, 26, she's pretty much said, I'm in it for the long haul. 
Right. So now the deal is, is they've got a new bat base and it's actually in the center of Gotham. He said there's a bunker there, so it's easier to keep all of our stuff now. And they kind of make a joke about how there's going to be a bat monorail and they're laughing. And right after they get done laughing, somebody busts through the window and tackles Bruce Wayne. And who is it? Wonder Woman. (laughs) So Wonder Woman grabs Bruce and flies off with him. And he's like, Diana, Diana, what's going on? And she's basically telling him to shut up. And basically that that the Justice League wants him dead. Really? So she flies off with him now. And of course, in true Bruce Wayne fashion, he doesn't have the suit on right now. So he's just Bruce. So in true Bruce Wayne fashion, he gets out of it and they end up in a park. Long story short, it turns out that it was Bruce who activated the ga- the uh, smoke in downtown Gotham. It was a non-lethal smoke to get people to panic and clear the streets because he's going to fight Wonder Woman in the streets wow. of Gotham. Now, he manages to get into that mechanized suit that I was telling you about. It was basically a giant robot right and um he takes care of wonder woman by kind of cloaking himself and making her think that she killed him when in fact she didn't well then it's one right after the other and it's to the point where the whole justice league one by one is attacking batman okay and he keeps saying what's going on who's doing this who's doing this and nobody's answering him they just said that they want him dead now, he finally feels like he's got, because basically he built this suit to counteract every member of the Justice League. Kind of like if you watch Justice League Doom, the animated movie. Yeah, Very yeah. similar to that, where he had a plan in place for everybody every, yeah, except for one. And he said, I really hope he's not on planet. And then the next thing you see is this giant bat suit getting just plunged through the theater in Gotham. And who is it? It's Big Blue. Superman. It's Superman. So he gets slammed through and he finally says, Clark, who's doing this? Who's doing this? And he said, well, you know what? It's actually kind of funny. He's alive. It's the Joker. (laughs) So the Joker has found some way to, we think, control the Justice League. Okay. And that's where that issue ends. But then there's a little mini issue at the end of it where it's a kind of a Joker side story and right. there's five escaped inmates from, I'm going to make this really, really short. There's five escaped in, inmates from Arkham and they basically show up at one of the doctor's houses and they're holding her captive and they say they each have a story for her. And she says, well, you know, if you let me go, I'll listen to whatever you have to say. He's like, no, no, that's not how it works. That's not how he wants it. So basically what they're implying is that the Joker is not a man at all, that he is actually the devil right? that's risen up from hell. I don't know if that's just one of the stories or if that's the main theme. They didn't really make that clear. But, I mean, if you've read it and if you've seen the pages, it's pretty messed up. The art, the whole vibe of it is very, very creepy. So I think they just did a good job. And to bring the Joker back after all this time... Uh, I think it was the right time to do it. And the it just leaves you with this. It makes you want to read more. Like, how can the Joker control the Justice League? Or are these five escaped inmates from Arkham, like, 
Justice League clones, right. maybe. There's just a lot of questions that can be answered. So I would say if you haven't pulled it, Batman, if you haven't pulled regular Batman series by now, this is a good place to start. You should still be able to pick up the first issue this week. Of course, we recommend you get it at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards if you're in the Virginia Beach area. If not, find it at your local shop. This is a good chance to jump in on the regular Batman arc if you haven't already, especially if you're reading Batman Eternal. It's a great way to kind of round everything together. Exactly. Especially, we, you know, it was about uh, 24, 23 issues left in Batman Eternal as part of the new 52. We're on issue 27, which was released yesterday. Um, yes, I mean, it also you said that this is a great starting point. If you haven't gotten into the regular Batman arc, you know, it was a great place to start up and pick up. So you had to go all the way back and read through. Yeah. And, and you could definitely read this without having read Batman Eternal and not having read Zero Year and still enjoy it. Now it's still, it still kind of mentions Zero Year. They kind of imply that this is five years. It was either four years or five years after the events of Zero Year, but takes place after Batman Eternal. So think of Batman Eternal as the meat in the sandwich between Zero Year and Endgame. Okay. That's my best way I can put it. All right. Well, this week for me, James, I didn't have a big poll this week. I actually, including Drew Moss's uh, creepy number 18, which I had to buy digitally because it wasn't being sold in a lot of local places. Um, really any, um, yeah, it was sold out. Couldn't find it. Yeah. And, uh, so I have pretty much, you know, me, I'm a Marvel guy. I have three Marvels and one DC. The one DC is Batman eternal. However, I'm going to be reviewing a number one. They came out, they had a zero issue. Um, they came out a couple of weeks ago and it's Deadpool versus or Hawkeye versus Deadpool. Number one. Now it's written by Gary Dugan, who was, doing the uh, Hulk run, which I just recently dropped that, you know, the whole Doc Green thing just didn't go for me. And a lot of people as well, really. Um, the art is by Matteo Lali and uh, Giacomo Camini. Now, I'm going to start off by saying this. Now, the art, it's, I mean, I've shown you what it looks like. It's it's average at best. Yeah, very much so. Um, so I'm like, okay, it's average at best. However, it's not Daredevil bad. Daredevil has horrible art. So I'm like, okay, it, it's it's not that bad. Okay, so hopefully if the story can get my attention. Because the Zero Issue, you know, you read, is Hawkeye versus Deadpool. But the way that the comic has been written the past couple issues is there, it's, like, it's like a buddy cop comic kind of thing, which is, is weird. So the plot, now, in the Zero Issue, there's a murder of somebody who had, like, s- secrets about stuff and whatever like that. And it starts off in the issue number one with Typhoid Mary going to trial, and she's being released after Prince Black Cat pays off the judge. Right. And what they're doing is they're addressing these drones, these crazy people in the insane asylum, as vigilantes. Like, like po- popular Marvel ones. Like, there's a panel where you see a, some, like a, a, a crazy person dressed as Daredevil, and it's like this hulking person. Um, there's one you see dressed as Captain America and so on and so forth. And so, I mean, there's also callbacks to past comics. For example, like, uh, original sin, uh, somebody shows up at Hawkeye's, uh, apartment in a watcher costume has a bullet hole in the head. Wow. Yeah. And Deadpool has a line of like, wow, even I thought that was a little bit too, too early. Now Hawkeye and Deadpool, they're investigating a murder that took place. Like I said, in zero issue. Now, here's a lot of negatives with this. 
book. Um, as I said, Dugan is writing it. And when I read this, Deadpool doesn't come off to me as Deadpool. As somebody who literally, whenever the new Deadpool comic gets out, you know me, James, I go and pick it up. Oh, like, yeah. I, like, I have a good Deadpool library. Um, well, the thing is, Deadpool's written more, not like Deadpool. He's written more like, okay, when you watch a buddy cop film, you have the serious guy, and then you have the, the jokester cop that makes all these bad jokes or like that. Mm-hmm. That's Deadpool. He's the one that makes the bad jokes. So it's like the it's like the other guys with uh, with Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg. No, because kind of the other guys was actually funny. Ooh, go on. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, uh, when Deadpool is making jokes, like um, for example, it's like one says, "Oh, I thought you know that's the best Freddy Krueger makeup I've seen all day," and then Deadpool says, "Depressive, like you know, you're right. I should have had Freddy Krueger for Halloween." It's like. That's not something he would really say. No. You know, Dugan doesn't know how to write Deadpool. I'm saying this right now. The way that he writes Deadpool, like I said, he, he tries, I think, make him too humanistic. I, he, he's, he's not really wisecracking at all. Like, he'll do something like, you know, he'll be like, okay, Hawkeye, we're going through this, you know, whatever, give me the signal. And he does it, and you actually know, like, he's, like, snapping a guy's neck. And he's like, wow, you agreed to do this? And it's like... Wow, man, Deadpool—he's a smart. Like, you know, he's crazy. He's a smart guy. You're right. drawing like he's a dumbass kind of a thing. You know, you're drawing like he's that—he's that rookie cop kind of thing. Doesn't like, you're acting like it's his first mercenary mission, pretty much, or his first uh, investigation, really. And it's not right. Like, like I, I had—it was like reading this comic book is the same way I felt when I had to watch Agents of Shield, where I had to power myself to finish it. That's not a good thing. <laughs> no, it's not. And it's literally like the, the way it's written, the way that Deadpool's written, it's like it's it's like reading a lazy kid's cartoon that was pitched and adapted in the 80s and 90s. You know, it doesn't have the strong writing. You, you know, it's very – it's just – So it's, feels like, so it's thrown feels, together. Yeah, party feels like it doesn't know what it wants to be because it's like, okay, they're hiding this thing, but then it's like, well, why is Black Cat here? You know, it's like you're trying – okay, you're trying to find out a murder, but okay, you got this thing with Black Cat – and like you don't think really mentioned with her at all and what she's doing, why she's making people the drones or whatever like this, and it's just it's it probably does it, it, for a first issue it just doesn't know what it wants to be, and the fact of the matter is when you have something that says Hawkeye versus Deadpool, it I'm like when I first heard about it, I'm like okay it's gonna be like at Deadpool versus X Force or Deadpool versus Carnage right not at all they don't go against one another and it doesn't make sense and I understand there's more issues that are coming out. But for me, dude, this is a drop. Like, this is the one thing you skip entirely. I would not pick this comic book up. The art is not the greatest. And like I said, the, 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 when I, when, somebody who loves Deadpool and who reads a lot of Deadpool, this is pretty much feels like the least Deadpool comic. The jokes feel forced. And, and even when, you know, they're written out, they they don't hit. They're not funny at all. So is it that, that Dugan just doesn't know Deadpool, or is this too out of his wheelhouse, you think? I think it's – I don't know. I, I don't know if it's too out of his wheelhouse. I don't you know. I just don't think he just gets Deadpool. I don't think you – know, I think he has an understanding of who he is as a character, but I don't think he knows how to write him correctly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like saying, like, okay, like when you read a book, like, okay, take Harry Potter, and it's like, okay, I read Harry Potter – but I've never written Harry Potter. You know, reading something and, and getting an understanding of who the person is and writing them is two different things. Right. So I, when it comes to understanding, I think Dugan's got it. But I think when it comes to writing it and putting it on paper, it doesn't transition well. 
Right. Well, I mean, this is kind of one of your first ever reviews that was a drop, I think, which is, yeah. I mean, usually, hey, we've got good taste, people, but we're here to try and help you out and save you some money at the same time. So if, if this is something that Deadpool fans, and you're a big one, there's going to be backlash because this is not well, real Deadpool. Save yourself four bucks. Well, especially because this is a $4 book. So, you know, that, that you know, I want you to save four bucks. And, you know, so when I see this, it's just... It, it, it doesn't grab my attention at all. Even the cover art looks campy. It's just, it's not great. Well, luckily we get to move on to things that are much more great. We're going to give you our review of the Flash pilot, and it was a great one. We'll talk about that coming up next on Down and Nerdy. Well, we've got a little bit of a change here at Down and Nerdy since, you know, there aren't always good trailers out there. So we've decided to start calling this segment This Week in Geektainment, and Nick, boy, was it a big one. It was. Now it was a big one. It was a big one for people here in Virginia Beach and all around Virginia because Grant Gustin, who plays Barry Allen, a.k.a. The Flash, is from Granby High School. Yeah, and he actually went to the uh, Performing Arts Center here as well uh, for a little bit before he moved on to Elon College in North Carolina. So, I mean, it's just it, it gives an extra special meaning to us because he was he's a local boy. Exactly. But, I mean, The Flash premiered, dude, and it was awesome. It was the highest rated show in CW's history in five years and also be agents of shield as well, which is big. I mean, I know they weren't really on the same time slot, but for, uh, for any show on a network like CW, which is still a very young network, not just in demographics, but the fact that they haven't been around very long, well, they went CW, through a name well, change too. Well, so, well, CW has been a while around for a while. It was used to be UPN and then it was WB and then CW. Right, I mean, but in its in its infancy as CW was, oh as yeah, well, right. Kind of trying to get at because when they were UPN, they didn't really focus on a whole lot of original programming either. Remember, I mean, they had they had no, wrestling. They, they, they UPN had like SmackDown. They had which is WWE wrestling. They right. had like a lot of Judge show like Judge Mathis, Judge Judy, Simpsons. So it was kind of like if it if it wasn't like a reality based like courtroom show, they would show like reruns of like. Simpsons and stuff like that. Right, exactly. So, I mean, they're still kind of getting their feet wet in the original programming thing, but I got to tell you, this is one of those shows where I went into it and there was so much hype, especially remember the way we talked about uh, the way we talked about the panel from San Diego Comic-Con and how everybody watched it and said how fan-freaking-tastic it was. So you can't help but be a little trepidatious going into this thinking, well, you know, what if it doesn't live up to the hype? But for me, it did, and right off the bat, too. Well, especially when you had that scene with Stephen Amell, and you're like, okay, it's going to be in the same universe. It's going to be in the crossovers section, pretty much. That's what got people interested, too, because it wasn't a standalone. Right. You know, it, was, it, was, it was a crossover. Exactly. And I want to warn everybody, just like we always do, there's going to be spoilers here because this is a review. So if you don't want to hear the spoilers, uh, fast forward ahead a little bit. But we got introduced to a lot of characters. Detective West, who's going to be who's kind of Barry's mentor. And, of course, Iris. They grew up together. Friend zone, clearly. Am I right? Oh, dude, that scene where he's like... I want you know he's he was talking about you know he wants to, he wants to tell he wants to date her and he's in love with her and she just friend zones him so hard and you know it's funny because she never even kind of gave him the aw you know well we're such she didn't even give him that she was just like well we're kind of brother and sister so yeah no. <laughs> oh god no but like you know I'll say this right now if somebody who's just getting into I'm on like five episodes into season two of Arrow and 
whenever they hear the particle accelerator, I get so, especially if I haven't just seen the flash. I get so excited. <laughs> oh, definitely. And, and I like the fact that they actually went back in this, in this episode of the flash. They actually went back and they kind of retold it from, you know, they kind of did the origin already at arrow and they showed how it became, how Barry becomes the flash, but they went back and gave it to us in more detail, but they didn't drag it out either. And no. I like, I like that they did that too. And we got a lot, of Star Labs and some familiar faces from some of the Arrow crossover. I don't think you're there yet, though. No. In Arrow. But you no. you, you know that's coming, so that's not oh, really yeah. a spoiler. But, I mean, let's get off where the show starts. The show starts off with Barry Allen when he's a young person. He's first talking about how his mother died. You know, he wakes up. He sees this, like, yellow and red f- orb or flash around his mom. You don't know what's happening. But as the, you know, his dad gets framed for his mom's death, but as the show goes on, we find out it was Reverse Flash that he saw. Yep. I'm not sure if they're going to actually call him Reverse Flash or Professor, Professor Zoom in the show. I think they're probably called Professor Zoom. So, I mean, either way, I'm fine. Uh, I'm not a stickler when it comes to that. But uh, John Wesley Shipp, who was the Flash in the 90s TV series, plays Barry's dad. And I got to tell you, I'm going to skip ahead for a minute. That scene in the jail. Oh, my God. When he's talking to his father and saying how he, everybody told him he wanted to change, he should change his name, but he's proud to be his son. That got me, dude. I mean, it really did. I just said, but his dad, you know, his dad brought up, brings up the whole thing of like, did you get to a fight? Yeah. Did you win? Yeah. And the thing is, in the beginning of the show, they referenced that as well, you know, with his mom and everything like that. So it's just like, it's, it's, it's one of those things where like, you know, as you get into season two of Arrow, and you see the whole kind of hatred in the beginning that more, you know uh, Oliver's sister has kind of for her mom. It's like Barry doesn't have that for his dad because he knew his dad was innocent the entire time. Yeah, and it's and it's a nice change of pace from Arrow too because Arrow is a lot more dark, a lot more gritty. And this, I think, even even in the even if it's in its first episode, it's clearly going to be a little bit more lighthearted. Still action packed and gritty at times, but it's going to be a little more lighthearted, a little more humor involved too, which I think is a good change of pace. Exactly, and the effects were amazing. I know for being CW, I was a little worried about that. I mean, I know they've done effects with other shows before, but they really stepped up their game. I think through this, especially with Weather Wizard. Wow. Yes. yes. What, they, I, that was just uh, amazing. Uh, amazing. Now, I, I don't think we've seen the last of him, by the way. They kind no. of, he kind of gets shot in the episode. He, I don't think he's going anywhere. So Flash fans, don't freak out because, you know, the rogues, the rogues are coming. Slowly but surely, we've got uh, Dominic Purcell was cast as Heat Wave. He'll be in a, in a future episode. Of course, Wentworth Miller, his prison break partner in crime, is going to be Captain Cold. A lot to look forward to. And and this is a major spoiler alert. Oh, yes. For people. I'm going to go ahead and uh, the Star Lab tech, Caitlin Snow. You're thinking, maybe I recognize that name. What is the deal? Well, Caitlin Snow is the name of a villain killer Frost that is a Firestorm villain. And has crossed over into other areas as well. You might remember Killer Frost from uh, Batman Assault on Arkham, the animated film that just came out. So they could choose to make her Killer Frost later on down the line. Of course, you know, Robbie Amell going to be introduced as Firestorm, I think, in episode three. Right. So, I mean, it'll be very interesting to see if they decide to make her Killer Frost or not. But they've dropped so many Easter eggs in this episode. And that was one of them. 
Well, remember though, the, when they were testing how fast Barry can run, he's talking about like, well, you know, why don't you smile? She's like, my boyfriend was murdered. This happened. This happened. And this happened. So it's like, I think they are going to go to Killer Frost route. I really, really do. Yeah, and I think that I've been dying to see that character brought to life in a, in a live action series or movie. I By think the it's way, a good character. When the Pearl Particle Acceleration thing blew up and they showed it inside Star Labs, and you see that cage and it says Grodd. Yes, how pumped are you to see Gorilla Grodd? I'm I'm pumped, dude. I mean, I know that they're probably going to go the rogues route for now, and especially with season one. But to know that Grodd is teased for the future, I mean, you could build an entire season around Grodd. Yeah. And oh. I think that they're, they're going to go, I think we'll see Hive as well. And I actually think that that might be part of what does the crossover with Arrow. Because remember, Hive is a big uh, tie-in to how Caitlin Snow becomes Killer Frost in the first place, too. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see Hive uh, somewhere into season one as well. I just, the acting in this show, too, was, was so great. Grant Gustin, fantastic. I think he's the perfect Barry Allen. I know Barry Allen's supposed to be the scientist, but he's also got a wisecracking nature about him. Kind of like, yeah. kind of Peter Parker-esque. And I think that uh, he was a, he was the perfect cast. I know people were worried, but I think he was fantastic. So, yeah, so... Barry gets hit with the with the bolt of lightning, pretty much, and he's in a coma for what, like six months. He's in a coma. Now I think it was nine months. Nine months. He's yeah. in a coma, and he wakes up, doesn't know what's going on, and then you know his, has a whole power thing, where his hands start shaking, and he's just running back and forth uncontrollably, and then he's just like, okay, and it just takes off, and he pretty much tops out at like seven hundred miles an hour, mm-hmm. which is ama- which is amazing. By the way, one of the funniest reviews I had, or, or not had, but seen. Um, it was for like the fall lineup or whatever. And for Flash, it was a guy realizes he can run really, really fast and wonders how is that really a superpower when he can't really do anything else. Yeah, that's misguided, isn't it? No, I think it was more of a joke on it was a joke on words really than anything. It wasn't really. It was like it was like kind of like a satire piece, kind of. Uh, it's you know that kind of thing can be hard to 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 discern on the on the written word. So you're probably right. Yeah. But uh, I I actually like the fact that they didn't drag out the whole what are these powers I have thing like they could have. I like that they kind of got to it. They didn't drag it out like uh, so many of these movies and shows tend to do where it's like, well, what do I do now that I have these powers? Now, I know that they went to that uh, airstrip with uh, Harrison Wells and the gang from Star Labs, and they did those tests where they had him running, and he fractures his, his wrist, and it heals in two hours. Yeah. Um, so I get that they did that, but they didn't. They could have dragged this out for several episodes is what I'm getting at, and they didn't do well, that, and I think that was smart. Well, I think they did it because, unlike like, something like, okay, take, excuse me, take Spider-Man, for example. He has multiple powers. Flash really only has one, so you can't really span out five episodes of what is his power when it's like, I can just run fast. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's harder to flesh out one power than a whole array of them. It's just a mistake that typically gets made in, in, in shows like this where people have powers. And it's not just superhero shows. Other shows like Heroes have been guilty of it in the past as well, where it's like, okay, we get it. Let's just get to the, let's get to the meat. And I think that they did that very well. And I think jumping right in with a, with a villain like Weather Wizard was a smart thing to do too. Exactly. And the way that they did with Weather Wizard too was, it was great. You know I mean? He... You know, he he was just phenomenal. Uh, the way that they portrayed him, the, the effects, uh, how Barry, quote, quote, defeats him is great. But the one thing I want to get to before we get to our next uh, part of the show is that ending 
Oh my gosh. The ending blows my mind. Now remember, Harrison Wells is not canon. He was a character that was created for this show. Right. So I think he's going to toe the line a little bit. So is he good? Is he bad? Is he... Professor Zoom was kind of a a tease in there as well. But, you know, you see the newspaper, 2024, Flash goes missing. Yep. And you start to wonder, are they going to do Crisis? Is it going to be Flashpoint? What's going on here? They're saying, from what I've heard, the article itself is a big reference to Crisis on Infinite Earth. Which, uh, it's going to be hard to do without Batman and Superman. Right. So, I mean, you could do an homage to it. You could certainly do versions of it. Because let's face it, even with Arrow, um, they're not exactly dead-on representations of these characters. But what they've done is, and even some of the storylines, but what they've done is, is they've made them their own. And they've made you go, okay, I can deal with that. Because they've done it so well. And I think Arrow set the precedent for that. And they, I think they're clearly going to do the same thing uh, with The Flash. Yeah, I mean, season two of Arrow, like I said, I know season three premiered last night, but season two, like I said, I'm into it. I'm right around five, six episodes in, and oh my God, already, it's already amped up. Like, right where season one was, like, it's amped it up to, to the next level. I can tell at season three, you know, it's gonna, it's already going to amp it up even more, especially from what I've been, I haven't seen the spoilers, so thank God I didn't see the spoiler what happened in it's Arrow. It's a big one. It's a big one. But... Uh, you know, tonight I'm going to marathon. It was 23 episodes. I'm going to marathon it. But Flash, though, amazing. I can't wait for You know, the thing is, too, is 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 Gustin and Amel, when they're on screen together, they click. It's they a really chemistry. Do. It's this crazy chemistry that they have together. And I don't know if they fell into that by accident or if or if this was part of the whole casting process for the Flash, knowing that they were part- trying to create a bigger universe here. Part of me thinks that the casting process was a flash. It's probably they had a Mel in there for like a day, and they said, "Okay, let's see how you can you know have a Mel read lines, mm-hmm. and we'll have the person act and see who has the best chemistry between the two. Because look what they've done in Arrow when with Diggle, and then with Felicity, and then yeah. with Roy. I mean, they've really done a good job of of capturing the relationships between those characters and their main guy." Uh, Stephen Amell, Oliver Queen. I think they did a great job doing that. And I think it's just a continuation with the Flash. But not only it's not just a, like an Arrow, an Arrow clone though. There, this show really has its own identity, and I think that that was probably the biggest challenge that they faced was making sure that this show had its own identity and it wasn't just like Arrow, you know, one point five. I think they've done a great job of separating it, but still keeping them in the same universe. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, they did a good job of deviating from Arrow into the Flash. So, Flash, definitely go watch it. It's amazing. It's on Hulu. You know, I had to sign up for Hulu Plus to watch it, but go watch it. It's worth it if you don't have cable. Don't wait for it to come out on Netflix. It's, it's really great. Speaking of deviating, we're going to talk about nerd news next. And uh, Robert Downey Jr. kind of said one thing. They kind of went to a deviate towards, well, it's not going to happen. What is it? Stay tuned. More down nerd coming up next. Nerd news coming up next. Well, boys and girls, Nerd Nuts, it's that special time of the show where we go around the internet and discuss the top stories from around the interwebs because it's time for what, James? Nerd Nerd News! And our first story, Robert Downey Jr. is fucking with us. And he does it so, so well, doesn't he? And we're talking about Iron Man 4, and everybody's been wondering for a while, is it happening, is it not happening? Well, Nick, it kind of went back and forth, back and forth. It did. So, Tuesday... Afternoon, Robert Downey Jr. went on Ellen and said that Iron Man 4 is happening. 
and then and the they, geek world exploded. Basically. Yes, we posted the story, you know, stuff like that. Now, mind you, he was promoting the film The Judge, which opens this weekend too. So maybe it was kind of that as well to kind of get the interwebs exploding. So later that night, he goes on Letterman and says, "Quote: There is no plans for an Iron Man four. There's no script for an Iron Man four, but they do have a plan. I think they're going to announce it. They're very secretive about it. And he's also kind of hinted at he's going to maybe make appearances in like Doctor Strange and some other um, Phase three films as well. I will say that one of the appearances he mentioned was Agents of Shield, and we were talking about that in our Cinematic Universe TV Universe uh, discussion on one of our other shows, and we said, you know, that's probably not going to happen. I got to tell you, if if any if any show needs something like that, it's Agents of Shield. Yeah, especially because it starts off start off slow again. You know, ratings are down. They need a, an injection of life into the show. So I mean, but I mean. So Robert Downey Jr. he says this is happening. This is happening. So, would you want to see an Iron Man four? Well, first of all, I'd like to point out that these shows are taped usually in the mornings. Yeah. So the, Ellen Ellen is taped around I think in the morning. And then I know for a fact Letterman is taped around four in the afternoon. So think about that for a second. These were probably taped on the same day. Well, they were. So he did. Ex- he purposely did these things at different interviews. At the, he knew what air at different times, just to screw with us. Right. So I'm just gonna get that out of the way. If you actually know what, no, that. because Ellen I think is recorded in California. Of course, Lemon's in New York. So it might have been maybe the same day where he flew from LA you know, after Ellen and went to New York, but or maybe he did the day before because I know they do that too. They'll record the next day's show the previous day, pretty much. Well, I mean, it was in, my point is it was close enough proximity. He knew exactly what he was. Oh doing. yeah, he oh yeah, he's like, hey, this is gonna be released. I think that's kind of uh, I think and I think maybe they were in on it too, the hosts at least, because why else would they be like, okay, this is gonna be you know we're gonna announce this. On this one show and announce this on the other show. It puts it puts more eyes on their shows, which I'm sure that they're all for. Um, but as far as Iron Man four, I kind of would like to see Iron Man four only because I want them to flip the script and we find out that the Mandarin was the real Mandarin all along. Okay, now, now here's the thing. I was I would like to see an Iron Man four only because I want them to read get the Mandarin story correct. And, I, and part of that is they did the one shot, which is, I believe hit called hail to the King, mm-hmm. um, where Trevor, who Ben Kingley's character, who's a supposed Mandarin in Iron Man three, you know, he's in jail. And then towards the end, it's pretty much like the real Mandarin is pissed because you use his name, such and such. So if they're going to do an Iron Man four, hopefully they get the Mandarin character, right? That, and, I, and, and, and if they do it, it's a sign of Marvel. I think actually acknowledging we fucked up. Yeah, and I mean it's it's Hulk all over again, uh, in from the comics where they they know that they've got a right or wrong. I mean, I still I know I didn't hate Iron Man three as much as you did. I actually enjoyed it aside from the whole Mandarin thing. But right. I think that that this is an because op- let's face it, I mean we love the Mandarin. You can't make him a villain in an Avengers movie. It's just it's not not smart. No. So if you want to re if you want to introduce the character and you want to do it right, it's got to be in an Iron Man standalone film. So, I mean, why not? The movie's going to make money. Robert, Everybody loves Robert Downey Jr. He's obviously signed up for the long haul with Marvel. I think you do one more Iron Man movie because you don't want to keep going and going and going. You do but one remember, more. remember, though, remember, though, this is one that kind of rubbed me the wrong way, too, is that Tony Stark no longer has the arc reactor in his chest. 
Right, that, yeah, that's, well, I think we'll get more into that in Avengers 2 and moving on uh, forward. I think that that's something that will be readdressed also. I wouldn't, I wouldn't close the page on that one just yet. Well, speaking of closing a page, we're actually going to turn the page. And, and now, James, when we were a little younger, we loved, you know, going to Pizza Hut and getting pizza. We talked about Pizza Hut on the show. So when we were younger, remember Book It? Oh, absolutely. Well, this year is the 30th anniversary of the Book It program. In celebration, Pizza Hut is reaching out to their alumni, a.k.a. us, from all over the world. In exchange for a few pieces of information in a survey form, they will give us a reminder of our youth, a free personal pan pizza. And I used to love that because I was, I've was i never been a big reader. Um, I've always been more of a TV person. I turned out okay. Uh, but I did read um, certain books, and that was the big incentive for me wanting to read and that not just comics. I'm talking about actual books yep. that, that you could read as well. I mean, nothing wrong with reading just comics, but it made me want to read, read books like, uh, like Freaky Friday, Indian in the cupboard, uh, stuff like that. When I was growing yeah, up, I read, I mean, you know, people now for people who are listening, they should know what book it is, but for people who don't know the book, it program was launched in 1984. It was an answer to then president Ronald Reagan's call for pretty much reinvestment in education by corporate America. And so a, a former pizza hut exec who he had a child who was struggling reading himself and he just wanted to help. So the plan was he came up with, Hey, let's make a difference. Let's include a poster. Let's put stickers and you know just even more books and certificates for personal pan pizzas in exchange for completed books. So like I spent my afternoons, man, like at least once a week, I remember I always had to do it once a week. Um, I had to do a book report for Book It. Like my parents made me, and and I enjoyed it. You know, it's the only time I actually enjoyed writing a book report was because I knew I was getting food out of it. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? exactly. Not only that, but I mean, it, it kind of got you starting to realize what you liked in entertainment, not just literature, but in entertainment in general. Yeah. It's like, okay, I like this, I don't like this, but even if I didn't like it, hey, I got a pizza out of it, so it's still a win. I remember. My first, the first non-picture book I read was Goosebumps Night, uh, was a Night Fever Swamp, I believe it was called, and um, or Nightmare Fever Swamp, and it was a werewolf book pretty much, and I read it in literally an hour and a half. Wow. And my mom was amazed, and then she, and then it was because of, it was because of things like Book It, and also my parents encouraged me to or made me read an hour every day. Where when I, by the time I was in fourth or fifth grade, I had, was reading at ninth grade level. See, and that's the kind of stuff that happens with this program. That's another point to the program is that it makes you want to keep going because who didn't love those personal pan pizzas? Not just because it's Pizza Hut and it's delicious, but when you're younger, the idea of having a pizza that's just for you. It's like Kevin from Home Alone. Ah, a lovely cheese pizza just for me. It's an eye popper. Exactly. You know, so I mean, I'm glad that they're doing this. You know, and like I said, people, you know, it's important. I put a status on my personal Facebook the other day. I said, you know, I go, it's easy. You know, in a world we live today where there's iPads and technology that will keep a kid quiet, it's like, give them a book instead, you know, because whether it's coloring book or picture book or just a, a, one that just has words in it, give it to them because it'll expand their imagination, even coloring books, you know, they'll, they'll expand the, to draw and color and, you know, and just. Be creative, as we you know talked about with Drew Moss, you know about you know earlier, um, you know being creative. Just give them a book because it expands their minds. Don't give them a tablet to play games on. Give them a book. You know, let's 
do that. You know, let's encourage them to read because, like, because a lot of statistics, a lot of statistics, like a lot of they're horrible. Like a lot of kids are, you know, can't read. They're illiterate. Well, I think uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a proponent of everything in moderation. Um, it, there's nothing wrong with playing games if you want to do that, but don't. I mean, and it's and me being a, a new parent, I, I get it parents i i get how you know your kid is fussy they're upset it's it's easy to just you know give them whatever that you can give them to keep them quiet i appreciate that it's hard to deal with but i i agree with you i think that you know sometimes you've got to realize that the book should be that thing it shouldn't always be the tablet i think you should play games if you want to let them read on your tablet too fine i still think you need to actually give them a book book to read but if you want to let them read on their on your tablet too that's fine but again, everything in moderation, and I think that teaching them that they can be re- teaching a kid they can be rewarded for doing something that you want them to do was always a good thing in my book, anyway. Well, for example, it was kind of going a little bit off a tangent, but like when I was in second grade, my mom said, "Hey, if you join the math club, we'll get you Burger King every Tuesday after math club." Mm-hmm. And I joined math club, you know, because I loved Burger King, and yeah, you know, it was I learned, you know, it as a thing. So I mean, again, you know, if you want to give your kid a tablet, it's not in bags. I like, I don't mind having a kid play games, but I don't think it should be the first resort every time. No, certainly not every time. And and I mean, your kids are going to learn that they're that you know they learn that if they do certain things, it's just like chores. If I do this, I get my allowance, which gets me stuff that I want, kind of thing. It's just like anything else. So you know, book it program is just reminding us that even in a world where technology has exploded and we love technology because it allows us to do what we're doing right now. There's still a time where those old school values and those, and that old school entertainment needs to be pushed up to the forefront again. And this is a great reminder of that. I think, by the way, I want to rewind something. You said book book. I never heard. I I never, yes, I never heard of a book book before. Uh, See, that's one of those things where you hear it. You're like, like, don't give him a tablet. Give him a, you know, you can give him a a book to read on your tablet, but you got to give him a book book. You know, what the fuck's a book book? A a paper book. You know, something that's actually printed on paper. (laughs) That's what a book book. book. I should have said actual book. You are right. Your son's going to be smarter than you. Exactly. Well, I knew that. (laughs) I knew that going in. I mean, that was pretty obvious anyway. Oh man! But our next story, well, our next, our final two stories really—they deal with, um, you know, Hollywood wants to go this Avengers route. They want to team up heroes or, or famed, you know, book characters or book book characters, as you would say, James. That's right. Um, and the first story about this is that Robin Hood. Sony wants to um, make an Avengers-style universe for Robin Hood and his band of merry men. So now you know in our last episode, if you listen to our main topic where we're talking about characters that we would have wanted to be and what makes great characters, I mentioned Robin Hood as one of the characters that I've always loved and I've always kind of attached myself to. And when I saw this story, um, now what they want to do is basically they want to focus on not just Robin Hood, but you know do maybe standalone films for his Merry Men, like Little John and Ferrari Talk and Will Scarlet. And the first thing I thought was, how the hell are they going to do a Will Scarlet movie? How the hell are they gonna do a Friar Tuck movie? I can under I can almost understand how they could do a Friar Tuck movie. I could I I kind of almost get that more than the other other two. This summer, Friar Tuck is gonna blow shit up. You could make it. You could make Friar Tuck interesting because he's not your typical friar kind of thing. So I could see them making that interesting. I could see maybe a Little John movie being fun, but 
I don't know how the hell you pull this off. I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I don't know how you do this. I don't know, man. I, I really don't know at all. I mean, now the pitch was it's titled Hood. Comes from Corey Goodman and Jeremy Lott. The Times confirmed. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter first reported details of the project, which says similar to the tone of Mission Impossible and Fast and the Furious movies. So they're going to be like horses on wheels, and they're going to be drag racing them. Is that how it's going to kind of be? Or are they going to talk about, if, hey, Fast and the Furious, like, the later films and how it's just anything goes and you're going to be dragging a giant safe from the castle into the woods and give it to the poor. I can see it now. This quiver will self-destruct in 60 seconds. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't see how you do this and I don't think you have to do this with that. I know why you want to do this, but you got to be really careful because if you think about it, there's no precedent for little John being a popular character on his own or Friar Tuck or Will Scarlet for that matter. I mean, they had their day like in uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. I thought they did a good job with a Will Scarlet character in there making it interesting, but I don't know how you, it's like, it's like a comic. Think about with these comic properties, you're getting the Avengers are, are a group of characters that were popular on their own first. And it's the same with the justice league. They were popular on their own first and then they brought them together. Now you're trying to do the opposite. You're trying to take a group that was popular based on one centralized character. Let's face it. And you're going to try and do it in the reverse way. I'm not sure you can do that. Now, how great would it be if they did a little John movie? And they actually casted little John to be little John. Huh, turned down for what? Yes, <laughs> I can actually see. Get to the pole for what? I, I I don't know. I, that would that would be pretty funny. I just don't know how you pull this off. I I, I want to see a new Robin Hood movie. Don't get me wrong here. I would love to go back well, to a new Robin. Well, the Hood Russell Crowe Robin Hood was kind of a flop. <laughs> so I, as a big Robin Hood fan, for me it was okay. It wasn't great. It wasn't bad. It was just kind of there. I mean, it was one of those... What you've described other movies in the past. I think it was Ninja Turtles. I was like, if it's on cable and I've got nothing else to do or if I've just got something on in the background, I'll watch it again. Yep. That's the kind of movie it is for me. because, But it's because I love Robin Hood that I will watch that movie. It's not because it was a great movie. So if they want to redo it and do it a different way... And I know it's reboots and the whole Ghostbusters 3 thing now. That's going to be a reboot. I know we're scared of those, but I mean, it's Robin Hood. It's, it's almost hard to get it wrong, but when you want to branch out to the other characters and give them their own movies, you better make them insanely popular in this first group movie if you're going to go ahead and try and do that. Quick thing about the Ghostbusters movie. I don't mind that they're doing an all-female cast. I'm just bothered that it's going to be a reboot and not connected to the current universe. I, I agree. But that, that I'm sure that'll be, once we get more information on that, that'll be a different subject for a different show for sure. Exactly, but our final story is in, it relates to the Robin Hood story. So Sony's not the only people that want to do their own Avengers-style movie. So Universal wants to do their own Avengers-style universe, but this time with the Universal Monsters. And Dracula Untold has been recut at the last minute to give the requisite nods, winks, and pretty much foreshadows to viewers about other monster movies. And pretty much after Dracula Untold, we're going to get a Mummy reboot in 2016. Now, we talked about the Mummy reboot in a, in a previous show, and we actually were trying to figure out if, in fact, this is what was going to happen. So we kind of foreshadowed this, and if I see this, you can do. Because, again, what I just said is you've got a group of characters, let's just call them characters, that 
were popular on their own first with the Universal Monsters from back in the day, and now you're going to give them their own standalone films and then do... I got to tell you, you know how big of a fan I am of the classic Universal Monster movies. Oh, as am I. Those are my favorite pretty much horror movies of all time are the Universal Monsters. Me too, and I'm not even a fan of other horror because of that, really. So... What you're doing here is you're giving us something. If Dracula Untold is done well, well and this is the bit, this is a big if. So if Dracula Untold is done well, like we hope it is, this could open the door for one of the most epic team-up movies ever. Well, it's kind of funny because Dracula Untold is actually getting pretty terrible reviews. Um, and you got to think about this too. I Frankenstein came out I think last year or two years ago. That was a big no. Um, Dracula and Toll is not getting good reviews. It's it. When you look at the history of the standalone monster movies, like Dracula Untold or I Frankenstein or even The Mummy, if I go back to the Brendan Fraser ones, you know they're not really the greatest films put out there in terms of 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 work. I, I liked the Mummy movies, but it wasn't because it had any sort of connection at all. I just thought it was a they were fun, and I I kind of. I kind of di- left it alone for that, but as far as a, a, mu- a traditional mummy movie, no. Uh, I, Frankenstein, you had to know about that one. I mean, come on. But Dracula Untold at least looks like it's trying to give us something that we never really had before, and they're trying to tell a story. Again, there's uh, Dracula Untold. This is not something that we know a whole lot about, so they're trying to give us that. And as far as reviews go, I don't really listen to reviews anymore. People hate everything now. They do. And, and I mean, they, they've given great reviews to stuff that we thought was total crap. So, I mean, take take reviews for what they're worth. Of course, you know, make up your own mind. Make up your own mind. Make up your own opinions. But I got to tell you, I have, I have hopes for Dracula Untold. Not necessarily high hopes, but I do have hopes for it that it could be a nice launching pad. But it has to be good. It can't be bad. It can't be okay. It has to be good or great in order for this to even have a chance of working. Do you think this is going to be this whole Avenger style universe is going to be the next trope that gets overdone, overused, and people are kind of going to hate it? Do you think it's going to come back and kind of bite studios like Marvel and DC in the ass because all these other studios are hopping on this bandwagon train? I don't think you do something like this unless you know it's only going to last for so long, especially when you're outside of of the traditional comic book realm. I think comic books, you can go this route until the cows come home because you've always got something fresh to do and you can even create new stories. With stuff like this, Robin Hood, Universal Monsters, you can only go but so far with it. So I think that in in these two instances, especially if they both succeed, I think you, you do what you can with it, you get in and you get out and wait for the next reboot because that's what Hollywood does. Yep. And that's going to do it for Nerd News. Coming up next, we sit down, or actually we sat down with Drew Moss and talked about comics, his new comic, Creepy Number 18, uh, Terrible Lizard as well. It's going to be out in November. We talked to him and asked him some questions about life as being a freestyle artist and everything else that has to do with comics. Stay tuned. Our interview with Drew Moss coming up next. Well, everybody, our guest this week is a good friend of ours. We met back in April, actually, at the first Tidewater Comic Con. And his newest artwork can be seen in the newly released Dark Horses Creepy Tales number 18 in a story titled Over the River to Charlie. And he also has a new comic with Colin Bond titled Terrible Lizard, which will be released in November by Oni Press. And it can be pre-ordered now. Drew Moss is our guest. Now, Drew, before we get started, 
First off, how are you doing? Second off, have you decided on a new name or nickname? Because I think my opinion of Gator Nightingale fits you perfectly. No, no, I'm going with Rake Von Hammer Smith. Yes. Nice, <laughs> nice. Because Rake just sounds really, really epic. So. Yes, yes, especially if you're a big Simpsons fan, you're a big Sideshow Bob fan, it fits perfectly. Yes. <laughs> but uh, how's everything going, man? It's been a while since we've seen you or, or really talked to you, but how's, how's everything going? Well, things are great. Working on a bunch of books. Uh, right now, uh, Terrible Lizard's done, um, even though it hasn't come out, but it's done. Uh, I'm working on a Letter 44 um, for Oni Press, just a fill-in issue. Um, and then uh, another creator-owned project with uh, the fabulous Cullen Bunn, but I can't say anything about it because <laughs> it's all, you know, it's all secret. Sworn to secrecy. Yes, yes, very, very sworn to secrecy. Um, like I said, when we first met you back in April, you were coming off of the, the Crow of Pestilence, and like I said, we, you know, we were, you were actually the first person we really talked to over there, and, and it was so nice to meet you over there and, and everything. And, and, you know, you mentioned how, you know, uh, the one th- great thing about working doing freelance work is that you you know you just have that that freedom. So is that why you think we're seeing a lot less bullpen and a lot more freelance because people just want that freedom? They want to be able to be attached to something that's like a five issue set instead of like a, a year long series. Man, I tell you the truth, I would love to be attached. Well, I, I am actually. Uh, after a, uh, um, I work with Colin again, I'm, I, I have a ten issue series. Um, coming out with another writer but um i don't know like i I like the creator own side because you know you have ownership um you have a lot of say in what's going on right uh royalties are always nice um but uh with uh you know but i don't down the corporate work like with dark horse or idw or marvel or dc because you know they tend to pay more up front right um but yeah, I don't know. It's like I'm I'm learning the dynamics, like um, how things work at different companies, like their vouchering and pay systems and stuff. It's it's really a um, I don't know more uh, technical than I thought it would be. So now, Drew, I remember when we first talked to you uh, back in April at the Tidewater Comic Con, we were kind of discussing working with the big boys and. You said that one of the things you loved so much about working with IDW is that they had such an open door policy and that they really gave you creative freedom. Talk about what it was like when you were working on the Crow Pestilence and when you had an idea how open minded they were to stuff like that. Well, with the Crow, not as much um, because, you know, they have uh, licensors to deal with. You know, James O'Barr owns the Crow. Right. So he, he has final say in everything. Um, or you know, even the editors, you know, they get involved. I think the crow is probably more restrictive than than anything I had worked on before. Not no, not the most. Um, I worked on a book called City through Darby Pop, which is uh, printed through IDW. Um, that was probably the most restrictive, but uh, uh, it, it really matters. Like I, when I did the colonize with Chris Ryle, it was I was very free. It was like, you know, um, kind of, you know, if you have an idea, tell me, great, let's move forward with it. Uh, with The Crow, it was like, well, I have this idea um, visually. And 95% of the time, it was probably okay. Um, you know, the other 5%, you know, let's talk about it. 
but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's different for everyone. Now with Terrible Lizard, it was total, total creative freedom. Um, Colin just said, you know, do whatever you think looks cool. So um, here's the story, and, and you know, make it work. Yeah, I mean that that's the thing, you know, it hasn't it'll be out in November, Terrible Lizard. You can take you can pre order it now. Um and like I said, now one thing I like, Drew, about you is that it, you know, when I look at just if it's a, something from Creepy or you know, I have all the Crow Pestles books, which the series I'm not which was amazing. I told you that. It was it's it's simply one of the best series I've read, especially for as short as it was. It was great to you know, to wrap out the way your artwork was and everything. Um now one thing is when you go from comic book to comic uh, I've noticed some artists kind of change up their style or they kind of get up or a lot of them actually get stuck in that one kind of look. Like when you pick up a book, you're like, okay, that's the Ditko art, you know. But your book from Creepy and then I look at Pestilence, they're different in a sense. How is, do you find as an artist to not be at a standstill and be able to kind of like evolve or, or, or branch out into different forms of artwork over your career? Um, I, I really take it project by project. Uh the hardest part is working on two different books at the same time that have two separate styles. Like, I was working on The Crow and Terrible Lizard at the same time. Right. Um, and one's an all-ages book, and one is just a gore fest with <laughs> and, and drugs and, and gangs and people getting shot in the face. Yep. So, um, I don't know. It, it's like uh, I, I feel you should be able to, to, to fit whatever the project requires. Um, sometimes it isn't your, your your comfortable style, but you know that's where the challenge comes in. That's where, like you said, you grow, um, and then you find you know new techniques, and then you carry those on to other things. Like um, Over the River to Charlie is is more of a dialogue book, like story. Yep. Um, though it's told in pictures, there's a, there's it's heavy in dialogue. Um, so you know there's a lot of open space. Uh, thus, more backgrounds, more small details. Um, but with the crow, it was more of a visual book, uh, less dialogue, um, and you know, just more room to breathe a little. But like I said, it, you, I feel an artist should be should be flexible in their in their quote unquote style. You know? Yeah, ex- exactly. Now, Drew, I got to tell you, I always get excited when it's time for any sort of a con that I know you're going to be at because you're always on Facebook, you're always on Twitter, posting the commissions and stuff you're working on. And I, I said I was going to bring this up. There was one in particular that you posted recently. It was an homage to The Dark Knight Returns where you've got Batman beating Superman down. And I think I said, if this doesn't become a print it's a miscarriage of justice. Talk about some of your favorite characters that you like to draw for commissions, and when you get it, when you get that one character, that somebody says, "This is what I want." You get really excited for. You know, it's different. It's usually a if I if somebody tells me a character and something visually different pops into my head immediately, that's when it's exciting to me. I actually got two of those Batman uh, Superman commissions. Uh, one right after the other. One saw the pencil for the other one, and he's like, I want that. And I'm like, I can't draw the same thing twice. <laughs> but, uh, I'll do it a different way. Um, and he's like, well, Superman's going to be losing. I was like, well, of course he is. Uh, like, <laughs> so glad that you feel the same way. <laughs> well, that's the way the book goes. Um, I can't change the story. But uh, I don't know. My favorite, some of my favorite characters to draw uh, are... 
I oddly never get asked, I never get asked to draw Venom. I love drawing Venom. I just do. Uh, no one ever asked me to draw. Uh, one person asked me to draw Venom. Venom um, dribbling basketballs. <laughs> That's <laughs> random. It was really cool, but it wasn't really what I wanted to do. But it was fun. I don't know. It's uh, and Poison Ivy. I, for some reason, I really like drawing Poison Ivy. She's just fun to draw. And I, I don't. I try not to make her overly sexual. Right. Right. Because um, you know, man, especially at cons, like I understand people's that's their wheelhouse, but there are kids walking around. I have kids, and I know how I would feel if I walked around, and you know, there's people getting their heads ripped off, and you know, <laughs> naked ladies all over the place. I'd be like, oh god, now I've got to block his eyes like every forty seconds. So, what's the longest commission you ever you've ever done? I mean, like, how like what's the longest time you've ever taken to draw a commission? Man, it matters. Like, as in like. Commission as in sometimes like I'll be doing commission. I have a job come up and it has to wait. Right. Do you mean like uh, more like, uh, like when you're at a con, somebody asks you to draw something? Like what's the one thing that they ask you to draw that like it took like a while for you to draw? Oh man, at a con it's different. It's like it, it's like you're under pressure. So I don't know, a couple hours max, and I I usually I don't know. Uh, you have to come up with tricks to kind of, uh, like if somebody wants something in the background or like you have to come up with compositions that look cool, I guess. Right. And also complement the character. So you have to think of things that are, are simple but, but powerful. Right. Um, and if you do that, you can do like, I mean, you can do a sketch, I don't know, in, in 30, 40 minutes. It doesn't take long at all. It's when people be more, when they're more specific. Uh, it's harder, uh, but if people let you do what you want to do, you can't. Like me, like somebody asked me for a head sketch, I can do that in like 15, 20 minutes. You ask me for a full body, if you just let me do what I want to do, like you know, 35 minutes, 40 minutes. Yeah. But if you're like really specific, like I want this in the background with this and a flag and with this, and then you know, that's going to take longer just because like I, I have to, I guess, kind of create in a bubble and. and that it's harder, but you know, I'm always like, like I said, I'm a professional. The biggest thing with like young artists who are, I guess, starting out that I've noticed, it's just an observation that sometimes artists are, uh, they do this. Well, I'm not feeling it today, so uh, I'm just not gonna, you know, I'm just not feeling drawing. That's a great attitude to have. <laughs> what well, you know, happens though? People are like, you know, I'm just not in the mood, or my favorite, I have artist block or whatever, but like. It's your job, so yeah, right. Suck it up and start drawing. Well, especially when you're at a con, you know. I mean, you, you know, you want to make money, and you want to draw, so like that you, so it's kind of you know debunks the whole reason for going to, to a con if you're not really up to drawing. Yeah, well, that well, not at cons, it's not as prevalent. Even though I will say sometimes there are con sketches. I'm not going to call anybody out, but there's some con sketches. I'm like, oh my god, like how much did you pay for that? Uh, <laughs> Like, oh, I'm sorry, you know? And generally, I, I don't know. I try and do the best. I do the best that I can do every time I try. Maybe it's not, it doesn't come out that way, but I try. Uh, just because I feel like every piece of art that I put out there represents me. Right. right. Um, I try and do the best that I can. Like So, so sometimes when people see my prices, they're like, what? I'm like, well, 
I'm going to give you the best that I can. Like, I promise you <laughs> that I won't shortchange you at all. Like, it, 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 it is the best that I can do right now. But, not. Nah, I don't know. I, and also, I like talking to, to, to everybody who comes. Uh, sometimes people are, like, a little weird about hanging out, you know? Yeah. And which I don't mind, but uh, it, it, it does. <laughs> it's an added pressure, but I, I don't know. I, I've done so many cons that that type of thing just doesn't bother me. Well, I mean, it definitely felt comfortable talking to you at the first Tidewater Comic Con, which is one of the reasons that we stopped and talked. You were one of the first guys we talked to in the first place, and it, it made us become fans. And I think that that's part of how you become a fan of, of certain artists is you see them at a con, and you, you actually took the time to sit down and talk with us, and I, we saw you do it with a bunch of other people, which we appreciated. Um, I wanted to switch gears back to your current work that you're working on with uh, with Colin Bunn and Terrible Lizard and kind of a two-part thing. Talk about what it's like to kind of work for one of the busiest guys in the business and uh, also talk about, you know, who are some other guys that you'd like to work with in the future? Colin is awesome. Uh, when I first met Colin, he wasn't uh, as busy as he is now. Uh, and he, he was actually, he gave me a job, and this is very odd, but uh, somebody had broken into my car Stolen all my uh, supplies. Wow. Um, and a bunch of commissions. And, and I kind of put out a, a, a Facebook, Twitter thing like, hey, you know, those people who saw their commissions, well, they're gone. Uh, so I have to redo them. And I can't redo them until I get supplies again. So I'm sorry, but, you know, I'll get them to you as fast as possible. And there's, I don't know, the comics community isn't, like, huge. It's it's really small. Like you, you don't realize it, but there really aren't that many people in the comics community um, who are working professionally. Uh, and those people really, really help me out on multiple occasions. But this occasion, especially, and Cullen contact. Well, Cullen contacted me and asked me if you if I could do a story with him. He said, you know, I, you know, I, I do. I can't give you any money right now, but I can give you a job. And I said, well, yes. So I did a, a story called Crooked Hills with him for his uh, novel, his children, his all-ages novel. And then uh, out of nowhere, like, we talk, you know, all the time, off and on. Then one day he's like, do you like dinosaurs? <laughs> Who does it? I was like, hell yeah, I love dinosaurs. <laughs> I have this book I want you to do. Will you do it? And I was like, definitely. And then, you know, at first, you know, it was mostly work. We talked work, work, work. And I asked him all the time, I was like, how? Like, I talked to him, like, I just actually talked to him right before you guys uh, got on. Like, like, how do you balance, like, all the books that you do? You don't even know about the books that, that haven't been announced yet. And you're like, like, you see all the books he's doing now, you don't even know about the books he has. Like, he can't even talk about Wow. But, like, it's crazy. It's like, how do you, like, I think I do a lot, but Jesus. Well, yeah, because, I mean, I see a thing with, with Colin, and I, so I go, he's like the Guillermo del Toro of comic book things where he's like, I got a million projects going on and it's just, you know, I mean, he has amazing work. So, I mean, the, but the fact that like, you know, he, he, he helped you out. I mean, that's, that's awesome. Like, like, like knowing yeah. that, you know, especially for a writer, you know, to reach out to an artist, you know, it, it, it's, it's really, really awesome. And, you know, so, and like I said, you, you know, you get to draw dinosaurs. I mean, who, who doesn't want to do that? It's, it's an awesome, awesome thing. So, I mean, you know, now going back to your other work, which just came out yesterday, Creepy Tales number 18, you did a story, uh, which is called Over the River to Charlie, and you, and I, what I noticed was Creepy Tales are celebrating their 50th anniversary this year, and 
you worked with Karina Beko on the story, and it was like a big collaboration, like a bunch of people working on different stories. Did you all you meet like me, or is it like, hey, here's your team, here's your work, here's who you're working with? With that project, uh, I got a phone call from Cullen, and he said what's your email again? You know, I, and I'm like, and I gave it to him. He's like, well, I'm only about to get on a plane. The guys at dark horse are asking about you, you know, let me give it to him real quick. And then like almost 20 minutes later, I got an email from, uh, uh, my editor, Brendan, um, at dark horse. Uh, and he's just like, Hey, we want you to do a story, which was awesome. Cause it, this is new to me. Like people coming to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the time it's like I'm begging for work. No, I'm joking. But, uh, <laughs> It's kind of like that. But you know, they came to me and said, you know, we thought you'd be perfect for this story, but it's going to be like a quick deadline. Um, you'll have at least like 30 days to do it or something like that. Right. And I, if I'm in a good click, I can do two or three pages a day. So I was like, how many pages is it? And he said, uh, eight. And I was like, 30 days. You got it, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, like it's awesome. Like the artwork now, the artworks—it's all black and white, and it's all sketched. And you actually mentioned this before the interview—you haven't really seen the finished product yet. No, no, I haven't seen it. And uh, like, um, actually, Karina—I—I I didn't even get to meet her through them. When I found out I was doing it with her, I, I actually friended her on Facebook and sent her my um, character sketches. Yeah. Um, of the characters and. Uh, maybe a thumbnail, I believe, of them. And then, you know, she was like, oh, man, this is awesome. You know, I, I didn't expect to see all this stuff. And uh, and so, like, whenever I work with a writer, I try and reach out to them. Um, even though sometimes with some companies, it, it, it's like the editor kind of handles everything. Right. But I feel like, I don't know, I like to collaborate, talk, and then... And build relationships. Like uh, I, I went through a phase of just like, like a long time ago of, of just kind of people collecting, um, not really being a genuine person. I guess it was when I first started. Well, when I first started trying to do comics, and I realized that uh, that sucks. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I that's why at cons I really make it a point to like talk to people and not just like um, I don't know just dismissively yeah but like just you know i try and talk to people and you know not just about art but you know, it's whatever like if you want to talk we can talk i'm no better than anybody else so right <laughs> uh i just draw comic books right right do, do, do you think that's kind of a, of a of a problem that a lot of people have they they, they see you know something like your work or raleigh brown or whoever and they see you guys at cons and they don't they, they have that preconceived notion that you're going to be dismissive of them? Do you think that's kind of a, of a big misconception of a lot of artists? I think it is a huge misconception. Um, like I don't know, maybe there are some artists. I mean, I've been blown off. Don't, don't get me wrong. I, I've gone to people and been blown off too, like a long time ago when I when I was uh, more um, a fan, not really getting paid to do the work. Right. I mean, I, I've I've experienced it and. It sucks, like you know, whenever with wherever it sucks. So, um, I always promised myself I would never do that. And like a, most of the 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 comic artists and professionals, and like, and I always include the fans. I'm like, we're all in the same community. Oh, definitely. Like, 
So it's not like, you know, just because you write or you draw in color, whatever, editor. I mean, without the people buying the books, then what are you? Yeah, uh, right. So, exactly. Uh, so, you know, we're all a community. But, uh, uh, yeah, yeah and, that, and I guess that's why, like, a lot of the professionals I've met, they're actually really, really nice. Like, I think people think they, you know, that they would have these egos and stuff like that. But uh, most of the people I've met have been, like, top-notch, like, nice people. Speaking oh, yeah. of people that you've met, I mean, we've got Tidewater Comic Con coming up on October the 18th at the Virginia Beach Convention Center, which we're, you're going to be at. But I want you to talk about just I know you've been to a lot of cons. So what has been your strangest con experience that you've had? Strangest? I've had a lot of strange ones. <laughs> <laughs> Not so, shocking. The most awkward um, was I went to Heroes one year and Heroes is my favorite con. I'll say it. I don't care. It is my favorite con by far. And I was at Heroes, and this guy walks up to me, and he asks for a commission. He, he doesn't ask to buy a commission. He asks me to draw him something. And, I, you know, I don't know. I wasn't doing anything. So I was like, you know what? I'll do you a sketch card, whatever. It, it'll be fun. Nice conversation maybe, you know. Mm-hmm. But it turned out not being a nice conversation. <laughs> uh, every time someone would, any, any lady would walk by, he would yell, boobies. Yeah, yeah. Come oh, on, dude. Wait, was he dressed as Deadpool? I mean, it doesn't matter if he was or wasn't. It's still, that was uh, his commission. He wanted Deadpool. And the thing is, he walked this one lady walked by, this young lady. Uh, she's wearing a Green Lantern shirt. And he goes, you know why people like your shirt? And she looked at him and he goes, because of your boobies. And I was like, okay, man, it's time <sighs> for you to leave. Yeah, like, wow. dick. Yes, and that was the weirdest, most awkward experience. Actually, Bobby, um, Bobby France, Bob France. Yeah. And, and he, I think the guy came back and was trying to talk to him, and he said he had to go to the bathroom, and the guy was like, no, you don't. He's like, no, really, I do. And he hopped over the table. What? Oh, my God. <laughs> ran to the bathroom, <laughs> and the guy was just standing there, and he just stood there. And I was like, man, he must have really had to go. I, I don't know, man. <laughs> oh, my God. No, you, man, you just can't make that stuff up, man. I mean, wow. I mean, like, well, when he said what he was saying, when he was saying boo, I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute. Somebody t- tells me that he wanted like, a Deadpool commission. I mean, that's just that's just one thing. You know, you get, you know, when you're at a con, you got to be professional, man. If you're a con goer or you're somebody behind a table or in front of one, you got to be professional. And, and not only that, I mean, come on, common decency, man. No one needs to be talked to you like that. No, no. exactly. It's horrible. I mean, I don't have daughters. I have sons. But if they ever talk to somebody like that, I would I'd probably smack them in the mouth. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. I've never touched my son. I'm such a wimp when it comes to my kids. <laughs> you were talking, you're speaking metaphorically, as we all yeah, know. My mom would have smacked me in the mouth, but uh, yeah, my, my kids, I'm so, they're, they're like, uh, they, they have me wrapped around their finger. Uh, <laughs> I know the feeling, brother. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're going back to, to creepy. I mean, like I said, I celebrate 50, 50 years. So, I mean, when when they first asked you, when they said, "Hey, you know, I mean, you know, we want you to do this," like, what was the first thing that came through your your head? Like, what was like, "Hey, you know, it's fifty years." So, was there added pressure for you to kind of like do something not right, but just nail it? Like, is there more added pressure when when oh. there's like an anniversary that you're working with? Well, it wasn't even that. Like, I'm a huge Bernie Wrightson. Jack Davis, Alex Toth, uh, Wally Wood fan. I am. 
I love Creepy Magazine <laughs> and uh, uh, Tales from the Crypt, all those old horror books. So to me, oh, yeah. it's, it's like a bucket list thing for me. Uh, like to, to, to do a story in Creepy, oh my God. Like, like I don't know. Like I got to draw Uncle Creepy like professionally. Holy shit. <laughs> like, uh, no, I had a fanboy moment. Trust me. I still have the envelope. Uh, the Dark Horse Comics envelope that they sent me with the contract. Nice. Um, on my drawing board, like, tacked to the wall. So, uh, it, no, it, it's total dream, like, bucket list thing. I got to draw, you know, said horror magazine, uh, Creepy being probably my favorite. Um, just it, It's just mind-blowing to me. Um, and I'm honored that they asked. Like, I mean, oh, my goodness, why me? I don't know. But they did so. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, it shows. Happy. It shows they got a lot of, of faith in you. I mean, but now, side step a little bit. Now, when you're away from the drawing board, when you're when you're just when you can when you take off your artist hat, what do you like doing in your spare time when you're not drawing? You know, I draw in my spare time, but <laughs> um, but you know, I well, I'm learning. How about that? Like, that I'll take that. Nice. Uh, and my other thing I do, which is my indulgence, is cigars. Yes. We've noticed. Love, We've noticed. <laughs> yeah, I love cigars, man. And uh, uh, I, it, it's like it's one thing that I do that doesn't relate to comics or entertainment or anything. And I don't do it as much as uh, I'd like to. <laughs> but, no, I definitely do enjoy it. And they have, I've actually had people at cons give me cigars. Uh, which is much appreciated. Heads up, uh, Tidewater Comic Con people. Yeah, it's very nice. It, it's it, I don't know it, what it really like. The reason I appreciate it so much is because that means they took time out of their life and thought about me. Yeah. Like how awesome mm-hmm. is that? Like you know, I don't know. It's like uh, I, I try and to keep good people in my life, and I don't know. Sometimes you meet people at cons, and they just become like. I don't know, family, friends. And, yeah, yeah. And I look forward to going to cons just because of that. I don't get to see these people any other time. But when I go to cons, man, it's a, it's like a family reunion sometimes. Well, yeah, I mean, especially like with, for me, for, for me, especially because, you know, we go, when we're going to be there too, we got our table and stuff like that. Um, you know, but yeah, we see guys like you and, and Matt Slay, and it's like, oh, you know, and Mark Deering, it's like, oh, family, you know. It's, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, Every con ever. <laughs> uh, I don't know how he has time because I went to two cons in a row, and let me tell you, I am still hurting from that. I'm, I'm trying to catch up. Wow. Well, speaking you, of cons and, and your work, talk about not just Tidewater Comic Con on October the 18th, but you know what other cons you have appearances set up for, and what other things that you've got maybe coming up on the shelves that we can grab. Well, Terrible Lizard one through five, letter forty. Uh, that well, Terrible Lizard one through five from I guess November, December, January, February, and March. So five issues, and then uh, Letter Forty Four comes out in January, I think. Uh, so there'll be two issues that month. I'm supposed to be doing a cover for IDW, which I have to contact them about. But uh, and then after that, I think in October next year, uh, the next project Colin Bond and I are working on may possibly be out. I, I think it's going to be October release, just because it's a horror book, and I, I I think that they would, I don't know, put it out near Halloween. Ah, yeah. we're getting a little bit of details behind the curtain. Well, it's five issues. 
Yeah, there, there you go. And it's open-ended, so that if it does well enough, we'll do a sequel, I'm sure. And then after that, I have, uh, I don't know, uh, whatever happens. I don't, I'm very open. <laughs> um, I'm freelance, so if it comes, I, I, I take it and I do it. Um, and cons, I'm going to Minicon in January, um, and that's Charlotte Minicon. Yeah. It's like an extension of Heroes. Then Heroes in June, I uh, just got asked to go to a con in Pennsylvania. So I'm going there in May. Uh, I'm going to try and go to Emerald City. Uh, probably not going to do Baltimore this year, but I'll do uh, Cincinnati Comic Con. So far, I believe that's it. And, and maybe if Tidewater Con lets me back, I'll, I'll come back in, in the spring when they do the two-day show. They right. better let you back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you never know, man. I don't know. You so, just never know. So, Drew, last question before we, we let you go, unless James has another question for you. But, uh, you know, we, we, you mentioned, like, you're freelance, and we talked about that. Um, if Marvel or DC came to you and said, hey, we want you to be part of a bullpen, um, you can't do freelance anymore, would you do it? Or would you say, you know what, I want to stick with my creative, you know, so, you know, ability to do what I want, thanks, but no thanks? Yeah, that's a that's a tough question. The the truth of the matter, because you know, I'll be honest with you, I'm not gonna throw this. I would do it, um, just because. I mean, when do you get that opportunity uh, to work with these classic characters? Mm-hmm. And to tell you the truth, if you think realistically, they're not gonna keep you long. No. Uh, <laughs> so you and a lot of these like um, it, things are different now. Like Cullen, he has uh, uh, when he was a Marvel exclusive, I think he was allowed to do like five or six or four maybe creator own books yeah he was still doing the six gun he was doing hellheim i believe in what else was he doing but uh oh the six gun miniseries sons yeah. of a gun so i mean he was still doing his creator own books um now if you're an artist you wouldn't really have that freedom but the the books i already have contracts for uh, you know marvel could never take those away from me so uh uh i would definitely do it just because man like I said, when do you get that opportunity? Uh, say you drew Spider-Man, who is my all-time favorite, and uh, or Superman or Batman or any of them. I mean, that 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 to me is a gift. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, as much as we'd love to see that, we love what you do now, Drew. Don't forget Creepy Comics on your local store's shelves right now. We've also got Terrible Lizard to look forward to. And, of course, go see Drew at Tidewater Comic Con on October the 18th. That's going to be awesome. It's, it's going to be awesome. Like I said, James said, you know, if your local shop doesn't have it, you can also go to darkhorse.com and uh, order Creepy Tales number 18. Uh, either the physical comic or download it digitally as well. Drew, we thank you for your time, man. We'll see you next Saturday. All right, see you guys later. And that was Drew Moss, independent artist, IDW, Dark Horse. Man, it was just so great talking to him, wasn't it? it he's so down to earth, dude. As he mentioned in the, in, the, in the interview, he said, you know, it's important to him just to be so down to earth and to be open with everybody and just to be approachable. You know, and I even asked him, I said, you know, is that kind of a big misconception is that people think they look at you guys like you and, you know, Riley Brown and Matt Slay and, and see you as like, hey, these are these, you know, big names, kind of guys, and I'm just a afraid that they're going to be very turned off by when I come up to him and just start to say hi to him. And he said, you know, he's like, some people have to, are like that. He goes, but I just, it's my important to be really open to people. And here's my thing. 
Uh, he's going to be at Tidewater Comic Con on October the 18th. So here's what I think you should do. You go to Bob's table because he's right at the beginning of the general admission entrance. You see Bob. You see what Bob has to offer. It's a lot of great stuff. You come sit down, talk to us. Be a part of the show. And then what I want you to do is don't do what you would normally do at a con. Don't go, you know, in the line from table to table. I want you to seek out Drew. Go see Drew first. And the reason I say that is, is he's going to give you such a positive experience and such a positive vibe. And that will start off your con experience such a right way that you're going to want to hit all those other tables after the fact. Trust me, because that's what happened to us. Exactly. So, I mean, and like I said, we, we kicked off the interview yeah, by saying, hey, you know, you're the first guy we talked to, other than Bob, of course. You know, and at the last Taiwan Con in April, and we just had it was a great experience. It was just open, and yeah, I like the fact that he was talking about you know his weird, you know, his weirdest experiences at cons, and everything else. He's such an open guy. It's nice to have somebody sit, come on the show and just not be guarded, and just you know, that's our that's what we strive for here on the show is we want to make our guests feel comfortable. And you know, Drew's a friend of ours, so I mean, we do have that comfortability with him already. But, you know, it's nice to have him come on and just be so open about just the comedy industry in general and what's it like, you know, working with Dark Horse and IDW and, you know, working with other people. and how, Even how like, he got approached by Dark Horse and everything, mm-hmm. you know. You know, it's very rare. I think we see a lot of people come on shows or guests, you know, other artists or whatever, and they're kind of, well, this is how this happens. This is how this happens. Next question. You know, Drew was like, gave very detailed answers. He was awesome. You know, and we look to have him on next week. And. After the uh, interview was over, I told us, hey, we're going to be here with you as well at Taiwan Con on October 18th, next Saturday. And we're going to stop by and probably do another sit down with them just to get a, a, you know, a vibe report, if you will. Exactly. And of course, come see us at Tidewater Comic Con. We're at table 104, right near the general admission entrance. We're going to have some great stuff. I can tell you, we're going to have a charging station there. If you've got an iPhone or Samsung Galaxy, you can come. If you like us on Facebook, if you haven't already, at facebook.com slash down and nerdy, you get to use our charging station while you sit down and talk to us charge your phone up a little bit because you know those those cons man they suck the phones dry exactly so as james said we we're going to have a charging station at our table like us on facebook if you the only way to let you use our charging station is if you like us on facebook so like us on facebook facebook.com slash down nerdy you can use our charging station if you don't have a galaxy s5 or an iphone charger Bring your own. We'll let you use our charging station if you don't have even HTC or whatever right. else. We'll let you use it. We're also going to have a couple of other things we're going to be doing, maybe some giveaways or something like that. We're still think- talking that up between the two of us, trying to think of how we're going to do that. Uh, maybe some new trivia we don't know. Uh, but it's going to be a fun time. We're going to have some, some things that we're going to be giving away, and you won't want to miss it. Definitely. And of course, you can always find us, like Nick said, at Facebook.com slash Down and Nerdy. Also, Down and Nerdy Podcast at gmail.com. Get your fan questions in now for Tidewater Comic Con because we'll be answering those on site as well. On Twitter, we're at Down and Nerdy 757. On Twitter, I'm at James Ace with him. Nick has a new Twitter handle. I do because my last name is so goddamn confusing to spell out for other people. <laughs> no, seriously, people will come and be like, how do you spell your last name? Is it B A T A G L A? I'm like, okay, I'm changing it. It's gotta go. It's gotta make it easier. So as you know, I'm a big Deadpool fan. So you can go to me on Twitter at Merc with one arm. M E R C with the number one is spelled out arm. So it's at, it's Twitter.com/slash at Merc with one arm. See, there you go. And I think that that's very appropriate. You being a Deadpool fan, that it just makes sense to me. 
Exactly. And, you know, so Facebook, Twitter, hit us up. Uh, I've been getting some feedback from people who are excited that we're going to be there. They're going to be on the sh- they want to be on the show. So stop by, see us. We're going to have some great things we're going to be giving away um, and be a part of the show. And again, thanks to Drew for coming on, spending time with us. It was awesome for him to take time out of his busy schedule uh, to to be on the show and just ask, us, ask some questions and get to know him uh, and just his works and what he's doing. Go to darkhorse.com if you can't find Creepy Number 18 in your local comic book shop, go to darkhorse.com to down, to purchase either a digital copy or a physical copy of Creepy Magazine number 18. Again, thanks to Drew Moss, thanks to Bob for who's going to be, you know, for everything he's done with us at Tidewater Con um, and, uh, you know, and helping us get there and, and make this dream come true for us to be at a con within our first year. Um, so, again, thanks to Drew, thanks to Bob, and of course, thank you to the fans, you, the fans out there who listen every week around the world, especially that guy in the one little shack in Antarctica. <laughs> Absolutely. And so we'll see you at Tywater Comic Con, October 18th. Uh, and as always, people, practice safe comic book reading, always bag and board your comics. <laughs>